Hey everybody, Brett here. And if I can, I'd like to ask you a quick favor. If you've gotten any value whatsoever out of our podcast, even just one episode, please consider leaving a review in the Apple Podcast app. Anybody that's been to a mom and pop restaurant or a small business on Main Street knows the importance of reviews and word of mouth. And we're no different. We don't have a huge marketing engine. We are not run or produced by some kind of major corporation. We do this ourselves. And so we're really grateful for any kind of support whatsoever. If you don't have an Apple device, please just tell a friend or two about the show. We'd be greatly appreciative. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. everybody. Our guest today, Gabe Polsky. Now, Gabe is an award-winning writer, director, and producer who has emerged as one of the top documentary filmmakers in the world of sports and beyond. Most recently, Gabe has written and directed and produced a feature documentary called The Red Penguins, which premiered to acclaim at the 2019 Toronto International Film Festival. Pete Hammond of Deadline called it a remarkable and funny documentary that seems right for entry in this year's Oscar race. Universal Pictures, the Goliath that it is, released the film in August of 2020 to widespread audience and critical acclaim even during the pandemic. In 2018, Polsky wrote, directed, and produced In Search of Greatness, the primary film we talk about today. It is a cinematic journey into the secrets of genius as told through the greatest athletes of all time. It was released theatrically to critical acclaim and was nominated for several awards, including a WGA award. In 2017, as if all this wasn't enough, Gabe Executive produced Genius, the top 10 Emmy-nominated TV show on National Geographic about Albert Einstein. He and his brother, Alan, acquired the rights to the Albert Einstein estate and the best-selling Walter Isaacson biography, which became the bedrock of the series. One of the things that makes this conversation so great is as somebody that appreciates the art of coaching, I understand that creativity and improvisation and all these things are a critical part of what makes somebody great. You cannot create a template for world-class performance. People have tried and it fails. Individuality is not something that should be demonized. And for Gabe to be able to go in deep and talk to the likes of Wayne Gretzky and Jerry Rice is truly remarkable because you're able to pick up insights that you could tell your kids if you're a parent, you could tell your team if you are a coach, you could tell your team if you are a business leader. This is applicable to every. I promise you, if you think outside the box and you have a creative bone in your body whatsoever as it pertains to how you solve problems and how you look to adapt in times of high stress or chaos, this will resonate with you. So without further ado, Gabe Polsky. 
All right, here we are, another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. I am here with Gabe Polsky. Gabe, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. It is not every day that you get to say, hey, we have somebody on that wrote, directed, and produced really this unique cinematic journey that dives into the secrets of greatness, right? And I know that you're humble just from talking off screen a little bit, um, but you know, this is something that had critical acclaim, you know, nominated for several awards, a WGA award, right? You've also produced Genius, a 10-time Emmy-nominated show on National Geographic about Albert Einstein. You're not the usual guest, brother, so I'm happy to have you. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do this. I share a lot of kind of, you know, similar thinking as you do on the show, and, you know, I think about a lot of this stuff, so Here, here's what was funny. And, and this gives our listeners unique insight into this. So the very first time I saw in search of greatness was on a plane. And ironically, we were going to host a workshop that was about the importance of utilizing improv in coaching. And I remember at that time, yeah, I'd gotten a lot of people that had looked at me like, what are you doing? Because typically I had taught on, ag on agility and strength and conditioning and everything else. And now here we are utilizing improv and constraints in these workshops to try to help coaches and leaders overcome this stuff. And so admittedly, your, your movie was a little bit of confirmation bias because as I'm sitting here second guessing myself, I'm hearing Wayne Gretzky. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to all these different folks talk about how they had to improvise continually throughout their career to overcome these, these limitations. And I guess what I'm wondering is what inspired you to create something like that when creativity is so often looked down upon when, when people think of the world's best, right? We think that the higher up you get, you got to get more rigid. You took a completely different approach. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in that. I believe that the essence of great performance and, and sport itself is, is improvisation. It's spontaneity. That's the reason why sports exists. If we knew what would happen at the end, and, and, you know, everything was sort of predetermined, there would be no fun in it. So sport is a constantly changing thing. It's never the same one moment to the next. You can never predict it. And because of that, you have to be, the sportsman has to be, you know, an improviser, a tremendous improviser. And, and, and to be able to, to create and change things in, 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 a, in a split second, you know, and that's something that, that isn't really enforced in, in kind of, let's say youth sports, even, you know, older development, no one really talks about this or understands it well, how important creativity is. And, and I think that's the mark of greatness is, is somebody who is a creative person and, 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 and training in such a way that, that kind of their mind to, to allow for kind of creativity and, improv and spontaneity and, and, and unfortunately kind of my experiences going through kind of youth sports and kind of up the pyramid, I played college division one hockey and, and sort of even the higher I got, the less creative it was. And, and, and the need for creativity was, was, you know, much higher than the, because I saw the, the greatest athletes like Gretzky's and like in any sport, they were the best and most creative people. That's why people paid money to go see them because they were doing things we haven't seen. That's what, that's what the demand is for sport. And so you have to like, 
teach people to do this in their own way because every individual is, is different, has different strengths and weaknesses. And, and, and like Lionel Messi, I'll just use an example. He's not even really featured in the film, but he was, you know, much shorter growing up. He had obviously a growing issue and was shorter and not as strong as everybody else. And so he learned to kind of handle the ball better. He was much smarter with the ball and and kind of used that to his strength and now, you know, became the greatest player in the world. But there was a point where they thought, well, this kid's just not going to, that's it. He's he's not going to develop. And the same thing with Wayne Gretzky and, and a lot of other players that every one of these players has, has a big weakness that that they use to their advantage and, and, and developed uh, maybe a deeper understanding of their sport. Yeah. You give a great example there. And I think, you know, for anybody that hasn't seen the film, you, uh, you made an excellent point within it that these athletes that you feature weren't the best at what they did necessarily because they were genetically superior. I mean, of course they have gifts compared to the average person. However, we want to define that, but these weren't the dominant freak shows that we think of, right? Like, as you alluded to, there's Wayne Gretzky and he was not as, not as fast. And it was because of those limitations that he had to think about how to compete on the fringes, how to do these things on the outside, how to innovate. One that spoke near and dear to my heart was your example of Rocky Marciano. I, I boxed competitively in college. You know, I'm five, eight. I had to close that gap. And typically when we think of close fighters, you think of the Tyson style, but that was really Rocky Marciano who, who is really credited with close-range fighting. Um, Pele recalled, and, and I'll butcher the name here, but his favorite player, Garincha, was was born with misshapen knees and, and one leg shorter than the other. And, and an area that that even came up today, Gabe, was, you know, he's working with an athlete nine years in the NFL, and he's constantly um, almost like a hypochondriac. Well, my hip feels off, and this doesn't feel stable, and yada, yada, and it was taking up a lot of training time. And I eventually had to stop him and I'll, I'll just, I'll call him something else for this time. I'll say, I said, Pete, listen, you spent nine years in the NFL. You've had collision after collision after collision. You've been playing American football forever. Your shit ain't going to be even buddy. Like your body, your, this idea that your body, there's some athlete out there that's perfectly proportioned, that has no issues, that's built for, you know, perfect dimensions for every, it, it doesn't exist. And I go, so you're going to have to deal with the limitation. You're going to have to get outside of your own head and you're going to have to use it as an advantage. And, but, but people don't want to hear that because they, you know, it, it makes them kind of feel like, well, it's just easier to say something's wrong with me and I need to go fix it. No, no, you just need to be more creative. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, you kind of covered it there. I mean, <laughs> well, the question is, is like, okay, if, if you're not fast, let's say in a sport, whatever it is, speed is a common thing in any sport. You, you don't want to just say, okay, well, I'm just slow and you know, I'm never going to be fast. That, that, that's also a misconception. Yes. You do need kind of a, a mean level of speed. You need to be kind of fast, but your brain can be faster too, you know? So you just react a little bit quicker, you know, where it's going, you know, you can't be super slow, you know, so you can make that argument, but you don't need to be also like, you know, Carl Lewis or something, you know, you, you can be pretty slow and, and be effective. And I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. Like these guys that just have this real elusive speed. It's, it's either it's a mental thing. Like Jerry Rice says, you know, when on the field, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm terrible at the 40 yard dash, but if somebody's running behind me, I'm, I, they can never catch me. You know, that's like sort of a psychological thing, 
But then he also runs perfect routes, you know, like he never missteps and he completely efficient because he taught himself, you know, how to, you know, how to step. That's a very fundamental thing. How do, where do you step? How do you cover the most ground in the short amount of effort? You know, like that's, you know, he's perfected that kind of craft of efficiency. And I think Gretzky's like that too. You know, he, he was known for being incredibly quick to the puck, but he couldn't skate fast. Same thing with his shooting. It wasn't hard, you know, but it was very, very accurate, deceptively accurate. Yeah. Well, I think about what you just said and, and I, you know, I don't know how many other folks in the sports performance realm you've spoken with, but even looking at the Jerry Rice example of how to stop, you know, I think of all the wide receivers I've trained over the years, they're always obsessed with speed, speed, speed. And and we would tell them, you've got to train the brakes. You've got to learn how to cut and decel all these things with precision, but it's not as exciting, right? We know that the 40 yard dash is on the combine, hypersexualized speed, yet it is the precision. It's the boring things that get you great. And I think of, you know, the Gretzky example where he said, I just traced where the puck went. I traced where it went. And I looked at that and I think, a lot of that was the impetus of, of me starting Art of Coaching. All these other performance coaches, and there's many that, that go this route too, but they look at the training. What equipment do you have? What techniques are you utilizing? What, what's the latest and greatest in sports science? And I remember one coach and I talking about, why is nobody focusing on the interactions? The things that are said to athletes, the rapport that's built, the buy-in that they get that leads to increased tenacity in the training, or more importantly, how they influence them how they do, how they get them to do things and see things in a new light. Um, but it's tricky. And it makes me wonder when you had to approach the conversations with, with these athletes to get on in, in the film one, and this is a very naive question, but I'm just fascinated by it. One, how do you even reach out and pitch them to do this? And then how did you get them to open up and get to be so personal about this? Cause that trust and rapport had to be built from you as a director as well. Right? Like talk to me yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it was it was incredibly difficult, as you can imagine. You know, first of all, the, the idea of this project is a little bit abstract. You know, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, exploring greatness. But, you know, so does everybody else like you. And I mean, everybody, you know, wants to know what great. But I, I sort of was coming at it from, again, this creativity angle and, and, and free freedom. OK, I but I didn't I honestly I don't think that any of the players really knew what I was going to do. You saw it in the film because a lot of times things get lost in translation with their agents and so on. So I I was sort of high-minded and ambitious, but I don't even know if they really knew what I was going to do. So the the next, so it was, it took months and months to get any kind of response. And then, you know, it's just, it was brutal. I didn't get, you know, some folks that I might want to have got like Michael Jordan, obviously Serena Williams, you know, a few other kind of really big names, you know, but I, at, once I kind of got some of the greatest of all time that I thought were, you know, in the major sports and enough that to tell a great story and I could use sort of other archival elements to fill it out. Then I kind of went and made the film. So when I sat down with these guys, you know, I knew I were really wasn't given a whole lot of time and, and, that was another factor. I kind of had to know a little bit where I was going. And, and, but I think right away they realized that I wasn't, you know, asking the same questions and there was something a little different about what I was going after. And I think mainly like 
this sort of again creativity theme and you know sort of this showmanship you know that 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 is what it's all about you know and that kind of their eyes lit up like that's what sport is all about you know having fun with creativity this is what engages the athlete not not robotic repetition that is not it becomes not fun it's like school you know you want to this is this is performance like theater too you know it's it's got to be there's got to be a level of spontaneity and agency and 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 creativity and in the training and sports otherwise you sort of lose interest not just in the training but you can't watch sports when they become too robotic it's the same thing over and over okay great they 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 executed a perfect play but there was nothing artistic about it yeah that's fine but but for who why don't we watch sports on uh, like like sega or something you know so it's yeah so they they I think they sort of got excited about the, to talk about these kinds of things and, and they knew it was important. And also just with, with kids, just how important it is to just let kids play and have fun. That's where greatness comes from. Yeah. I, I think there is this quote that really touched base with, with everything you're saying is, you know, there, there of course has to be some structure and we get that through a lot of the rules in sport. Yeah. So without that structure, there's chaos, but uh, without freedom, there's suffocation. There, there's never any kind of evolution of that. And one thing I was really happy to see is there was also this talk about coaching. And 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 I don't, I may not get the co- the quote 100 percent correct, but I remember Jerry Rice talking about Bill Walsh, and he said, you know, this guy to have him in my corner, he was such a genius. He knew how to be your best friend and how to be your worst enemy. He was like a father in a way, and he'd make you feel just a bit uncomfortable. And I'm curious about the conversations you had around coaching with with any of these athletes, because so often we get questions of, well, how should I how should I go about building buying with this person? How should I do this? And once again, we're in this society that values this one size fits all model, right? They want they want somebody like a Bill Walsh, or they want Popovich, or they want somebody to come out and say, this is how you coach everybody but it just doesn't exist. You know, any thoughts on things that you heard or, or even from your experience uh, playing at Yale, just on, on that aspect of coaching, maybe what you responded to or what some of these other guys said they valued about these coaches. Well, yeah. I mean, from my experience, first of all, like at Yale, like I had a coach that didn't, had no idea how to handle each player. And so it, it created a lot of, he, he wasn't very good interpersonally and created a lot of like bad feelings and kind of, confusion and just like no like you know like the team nothing was cohesive and 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 he he didn't really get the most out of the players for sure like maybe 50 percent at most i think so so you know but i i think you know as you saw um you know the the celtics coach uh why am i blanking who was the the biggest celtics coach she was are you talking about the one the one that you had in the film? Because now I'm yeah. blanking on it too. I got I got caught up on the Bill Walsh and Jerry Rice yeah. one because I was yeah I'd have to go back and look. I don't want to lie to yeah. you. Yeah. Well, he's like you know, is it Red yeah. Orbach? Yeah. Oh, anyway, Red Orbach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like you know, I mean, aside from Phil, maybe he has more championships than Phil Jackson. I don't know, but anyways, he was saying you know that every player is different. You have to treat everybody a little bit differently. Understand their psychology, their strength again, their strengths, their weaknesses, and really emotionally 
kind of take care of them. You know, some players, they need a little bit of uh, motivation, kind of maybe talking down to them so that that helps them, you know, be motivated. Other players, that'll just kill them. Mm. Um, so it's all different. And, uh, but I think that there's a level of that players, they, they like probably coaches, you tell me, that are fair, you know, that if you're doing – if you're doing a great job, you're going to, you know, be rewarded. And if you're, if, if you're not for whatever reason, you're just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And, and I remember what you're talking about now and, and you're right. He had nine NBA titles in 10 years. And, and the quote was you coach through humor, sarcasm, or just plain force. You have to change your pace yeah. all the time. And, and it led to something else that I really liked about, you know, your film, and, and again, this is full confirmation bias, but I do think it's important is I remember you talking about one time that you really liked this idea or you've always been stuck on this idea that like, hey, when people create something new, they're often going to meet resistance due to what they're doing and it threatens people. And we saw yeah. this in the performance world. This was something that, that I talk about that we experienced is in the performance world, to give you an idea, 98.6% of any conferences are training based. Right. Again, getting people faster, stronger, more agile, what have you. Very little focused on interpersonal skills. Yet when you listen to the world's best athletes, that's what they remember about those coaches. And almost immediately when we'd put that out there, somebody would say, oh, so training's not important. Right. They try to turn it into a black and white argument. And we're not saying that. And then we said, hey, we're going to do improv for coaches. And a lot of these coaches would say, well, I don't have time for games. And I said, well, that's interesting because your athletes practice. The military does war games. You know, almost every every field practices or refines or rehearses in some way or another. How do you do that? Well, that's what internships are for. And it was just kind of troubling to me. But when we see, especially, and this might be, I know this statistic usually for people not in the field surprises them. The performance or strength and conditioning coaches spend more time around athletes than anybody else on staff, whether that's at the pro level or the collegiate level, just because of uh, different times of year and, and constraints by by clubs and what have you. Yet there is this lack of focus on learning social creativity, social adaptability. I imagine you deal with that somewhat in, in filmmaking too, right? Even though that's an inherently creative industry, were there things that you saw that your peers got locked into that you knew you wanted to break the mold with as as a creative and, and a director? I know that's a broad question, but yeah, yeah. look, look. I think it's the exact same principles where in, in film or television, you know, nobody wants to, you can't copy other people. I think you can copy other people, but you're not a good director or yeah. filmmaker. So you have to like really understand your own kind of nature and voice. And, and again, you know, it, you, you have these strengths. They're, they're there the way you think your life experience, your, and and you have to kind of harness that and and sort of create your own thing, your voice, you know, and that and that audiences will respond to that because you're doing something different. You're bringing something different to the world. It's the exact same in sports, and I think a lot of other fields. Uh, I'm thinking fields that might not be as you know like some kind of engineering thing, but it's still there's always elements to infuse your own mojo too, you know, um, because, you know, the world needs new, needs new, new technologies, you know, and, and it's constantly evolving. So, 
I do think that those principles apply to everything, you know? Yeah. So, the, yeah. And, and I know, you, well, yeah, I'm always thinking, well, well, okay. Has this idea been stated before and it has too much? Is it, is it, is it going to bore the audience? You know, we've already heard that. Okay, great. But maybe we hear it in a little bit of a different context or it's, you know, reinforced in a different way. So yeah, I think the, the idea of the film in search of greatness is like, it's a unique film because I don't think anyone's really ever explored greatness in this particular way and has gotten kind of these guys together and done kind of an all encompassing thing. There's obviously a lot, there's more things to say, but I felt like I got to the core of what I felt I wanted to say, you know, in a, in a unique way, it's a kind of a free flowing film. There's, you, you don't really, the way I describe it is you don't really know where you're going in there, but you're still in, you know what I'm saying? You're, it, it's just flowing into new things and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that that's right. Yeah. And then you kind of feel like, oh, now we're going into another thing, you know, like whether it's parenting or, or genetics or, uh, you know, obsession, you know, motivation, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was a film about, you know, of course, creativity, but this gray area and adaptation and resourcefulness and open-mindedness, you know, did, did people try to stop where they closed off where they open to change? What did they want? You know, I loved, I loved when they asked Wayne Gretzky about uh, practice. How did he practice as a kid or whatever? And, and today's parents would think, all right, Billy, Susie, Tommy, Janie, and Sally need to be at the rink constantly. At, and, and at noon, they do this. And at one, they do this. And at three, they do this. And a lot of times it was self-directed with Wayne and, and he practiced yeah. taking different shots and he had fun. And uh, what do you think that is that is so inherently problematic for people who want this one size fits all answer to hear Wayne Gretzky, yeah. somebody they'd love to tell their kid just do X yeah. to not okay. get that answer. Yeah, that, that's the paradox. And it's really the core of what we're all thinking and doing in society. Okay. So any of these greatest athletes, there's something inside them that it's, let's call it passion. Okay. First, they're, they're so excited. They just love doing it, shooting the puck and skating. And there's something about it. They just love it. They love that. And then they start to learn the game and it, you know, you start to master it and they, the passion just gets almost more and more. Then it's reinforced. They're so they're good. Oh my God, I'm good. I'm getting attention. And then it's more, they get, they love it even more. And, and then it becomes, you know, the word that, I don't know, it's just a word, but call it obsession, but they, they're literally, you know, it's, you're obsessed. You wake up in the morning. You, that's all you think about. How do I get better? I want to be the best. I want to this. It, it, they're obsessed. It's like, is and then it becomes like an OCD, you know what I'm saying? Like mastering all the little things and whatever. But then is that a neurosis? Is it some kind of mental illness in a weird way? You know what I'm saying? Because like you literally put everything aside and, and that's all your, it's it's an obsession, you know? So, but it's a positive obsession because they're, I guess, becoming great and, and you know, it helps them survive and get money and stuff like that. But like, yeah, that's what people do when they're like really into something, any field it is. And they just like look at like Martin Scorsese, like how many movies that guy watches. He's just this his his mind is like a one track movie guy, you know, and he's so good at it, too. So like. Yeah, I, I know I'm covered, but like, you know, this passion is just you, you can't replace that. And it comes from yourself. You can't really like say to a kid, oh, you, 
you got to be, you got to want it. You got to be passionate. Like they'll be passionate if they are passionate. That's yeah. it. Like yeah. th- it is what it is. There's no forcing it. There's nothing either. They're either. They love it so much that, or, or they're not that into it. And that's just like, that's how it is. There's no forcing greatness. Yeah. Never, ever. The more you force it, the worse it is. Yeah, and, and what's fascinating about that is again, and, and I think of all the times where we've spent, you know, moments in, well, in the, in the weight room with folks and you see these coaches that, that say, oh, you got to want it. And, you know, pain is weakness, leaving the body and all these cliche terms. And it's like, like you said, you're not going to motivate that out of somebody. Right. And then I, I remember one coach kind of arguing back, well, you know, that's like that Zig Zagler quote, you know, like motivation doesn't last. Well, that's why it's like bathing. You got to do it daily. And it's like, no, like you got to understand that sometimes these people do find their own thing. Like for us, our obsession now with social interaction and the nuances of the art of coaching, you know, that was baked into me from my time being hospitalized, like a traumatic life event that turned into a fascination with social dynamics and the human body. And then this merge, this convergence of like, all right, how do I get the human body to its zenith? Part of that is getting people to care and understand what they're doing, which is social influence. And then there's all these things. And I'm also glad you use the term because I don't think most people would, Gabe, mental illness, because I think that that has this negative stigma. And I guess if people are using the clinical, absolute, most rigid definition there is, but uh, but if we look at harmonious passion and obsession passion, uh, obsessive passion, like where is that line, right? It does get blurred. And it, it's like that Abraham Lincoln had this quote, and I, I put it on my desktop where he said, it's my experience that folks who have no vices generally have very few virtues, right? There is this deeper satisfaction in a struggle that takes you to a dark place. And that's where the creative shit comes from, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, I had, a, I had a, this is an aside, but a, sort of a conversation with somebody in my family, just like that, you know, there's, there's, let's say families that are so well behaved, their kids are so like impeccable. They answer the phone. This is, you know, so-and-so resident or whatever. And I just thinking, you know, and I wasn't like the most well-behaved. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's good or bad, but there's something maybe boring about that. Is there, you know what I'm saying? Like there's something, I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, behavior is important, but you know, you gotta, there's something maybe a little bit unhealthy about the other way too, you know? Well, and that, that's what they're finding. They're finding that this yeah. idea of emotional stability is not is not as well adjusted as we think, especially in times of chaos, which we're in the most fast moving time in society. And and you look historically at this and, and there's another fascinating thing that we've got to find a way to chat about too of this, this emerging research on what they call dark-sided traits and behaviors where some of the best coaches now, if we flip gears from athletes to coaches, they talk about had this selective deployment of dark-sided behaviors. Now, it doesn't mean you're you're kind of this wanton asshole or you're you're doing things that are injurious or dangerous. We're not talking about, you know, yeah. uh, but what we are talking about is people that know how to use this selective display uh, of force or, you know, maybe they know how to manipulate. You think of like Alex Ferguson and Manchester United. They know how to influence it. And it is this idea of like, People, when, when they think that there's no room for, for dark and it's just everything's got to be light-sided, emotionally stable, the normal family, the healthy habits, all this stuff, how do you ever get to your gray area if you have never have any mess to overcome? I mean, I'd have to imagine as, as somebody living in L.A. Okay. Here's the bottom line. 
is that life is incredibly dark. Uh, sorry, I, I don't want to say dark. No, it's say dark. Too. You're fine. It's white too. Sorry, it's it's gray. There's so much strange stuff in the world, and and the way life kind of unfolds, and the 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 ups, the downs. It's 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 insane. It just you know it just keeps going. Like one day from the next, surprises. That's resilience. You've got to be able to to deal with anything. And that's what sports is so good at too. Like uh, playing sports is is just how unpredictable it can be, and and just rolling with the punch. Okay, so you're losing now two nothing. Okay, are you going to just like collapse? No, you're going to just you know one shift at a time. You know, come back. You know, and see how you could do. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like waking up. You know, you you have like a, a lot of really bad news, and you know you chip away like little by little, you know, it's resilience. It's, it's flexibility, mental flexibility. You can't always seek control. You have to be very comfortable in uncontrolled situations that are out of control. Yeah. And that's, that's like the Tao, you know? Yeah. You think of, uh, it's helping people understand that trauma is not a disease just as like a virus isn't an infection, right? Like I have a a 15 month old and and he's sick right now and what have you. Many of us get exposed to these viruses and bacteria and, and then you get symptoms and what have you. But eventually these are the things that make you resilient yet. Now we want to sterilize everything in society and, and, and make it one way. It makes me kind of wonder and, and you'll endear yourself to our audience if you can go here. But if not, I completely understand uh, because most of our audience are people that don't want the one size fits all. They don't want the usual kind of celebrity BS that somebody gives on a podcast. That's a safe answer. You know, what are some forms of kind of darkness that you've gone through, you know, either as an athlete or, or a, a director or as a father or anything like that? Like what are, what are kind of those self doubts or that strong inner voice that you have to like shut up or deal with periodically those demons, so to speak now? Yeah. It's like all the time. I mean, I'm naturally a little bit, uh, melancholy. I'm very opt optimistic and have a lot of self-confidence, like just maybe over self-confidence, but I think that's a survival mechanism, you know? Uh, and, but at the same time, yeah, I've, I doubt every day, is this going to happen? I always, sometimes you feel like you're just like spinning in circles and you got to make that plunge and, you know, or, you know, you're hearing kind of constant bad news every day and, should I just give up on this one? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just all the time every day. And that's like what I constantly say and think is that those that can really not have it affect them, especially maybe in the movie business. I don't know if it's more so I, I, I hear that it's a lot more because there's so much rejection that you're just like every day, like 30 rejections, you know? Imagine. So you, you just have to let it, let go of everything, you know, and just you know, kind of go with the flow and believe in what you're doing. But yeah, I mean, it's just constantly, I, I wish, do you know what I'm saying? I wish I could kind of, I mean, the, 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 the amount of bad things that kind of happen is just like, is like almost infinite. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think you're hitting on it, right? We look at this idea but, of like, but then you could look at it as a good thing too. Like there's this whole ideology, like, Oh, well, maybe that's actually a good thing. You never know. Like, let's see how it turns out later. And you know what I'm saying? Like you get rejected for something. Then the next day you get a call and someone even better wants to do it. You know what I mean? You have to be prepared for anything in life. A lot of these bad things turn out to be the best things ever and vice versa. 
quick break in the conversation with Gabe just to say thank you to our core sponsor, Momentus. Momentus is a performance nutrition company that's dedicated to creating no-nonsense products that support the relentless pursuit of progress in health or performance. And guys, really, whatever those terms mean to you, even if it's just you wanting to hurt less when you're playing with your kids, you getting back in the habit of business travel after COVID and knowing that you have some kind of nutrition supplementation and insurance to trust while you're on the road, or something to help you deal with aches and pains from previous injuries, Momentus has you. And we are a no-fluff company ourselves with Art of Coaching. So we don't really promote much, especially from a nutrition standpoint. But when it comes to plant-based protein, grass-fed whey protein, collagen peptides, fish oil, the basics, it is the only nutrition supplement company that I recommend or work with. And you can use code BRETT25 at livemomentous.com. Again, that's BRETT25 at livemomentous.com to save off your first order. Also, if you are intrigued by this conversation and you are fascinated by creativity and improvisation and trying to figure out how you can really evolve into the best professional or person you can, I encourage you to look into our Art of Coaching Apprenticeship Program. These are workshops that we do all over the world and we had you in mind. We kept it to two days because we know one-day workshops are often super dense and hard to really have tactical takeaways. Three-day workshops are really difficult for people to get to because they have busy lives and work. So we've jam-packed this stuff into two days and it is role-playing and it is case studies and it is video breakdowns. No different than you're hearing the individuals on this episode talk about what helped them become great, whether it's Wayne Gretzky studying the game of hockey and tracing all of the moves of the hockey players on the ice to see where people weren't, or whether it was Jerry Rice really refining his deceleration and his technique. You too, being a leader, need to refine your communication and your technique from an interpersonal standpoint. And it's very simple, guys. This isn't rah-rah stuff. It's not a motivational seminar. We put people in real world scenarios and we role play. And when I say role play, we're not talking Saturday Night Live. I'm talking about we put you in situations where you have to deal with that stodgy boss, where you have to deal with that difficult client, where you have to try to influence somebody who is usually not very easy to persuade. And we put you in a corner and you have to work yourself out of it. More importantly, you can connect with other professionals from a wide variety of fields. It is not just about coaching and you're going to get takeaways that you can use and teach your team down the road. So check it out. You can go to artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship to see where they're going to be in your area today. All right, back to the conversation with Gabe. Do you know what I'm saying? I wish I could kind of, I mean, the, 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 the amount of bad things that kind of happen is just like, is like almost infinite. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think you're hitting on it, right? We look at this idea but, of like, but then you could look at it as a good thing too. Like there's this whole ideology like, Oh, well maybe that's actually a good thing. You never know. Like, let's see how it turns out later. And you know what I'm saying? Like you get rejected for something. Then the next day you get a call and someone even better wants to do it. You know what I mean? You have to be prepared for anything in life. A lot of these bad things turn out to be the best things ever and vice versa. Yeah, I, I think that that hits on a, a point of we were talking the other day of this concept of what are called like ecotones. And like an ecotone is where these two ecosystems can 
butt up next against one another. So like it could be a, a desert and, and a marsh or a forest and a city. And of course there are certain species that survive in each of those individual ecosystems or thrive. But what they find is in the middle, they have this thing called the edge effect. And the edge effect is where we see more biodiversity, right? It's a really hard place for either of these that are specialized to live in one or the other to exist. But eventually over time, that edge effect takes place and you have something that's more biodiverse. I think anytime we stay in the ecosystems that we're most comfortable with or just provide us with self-assuredness and just provide us with some sense of control, it's good in the short term, but it makes it really nasty in the long term if we want to become something adaptable. And like, you know, I think one main question that I have a lot is that, you know, let's say you hear something kind of negative for yourself, like a a family member or somebody, you know, is upset with you or, and and it's really kind of a downer and you know, you're not really at fault and that person might be dealing with some things. Like a lot of psychology will say, oh, you know, you got to you got to deal with that. You got to really think about it and deal with that and then like expunge it or, or do you just like let it bounce off of you and you don't even think about it. You to- it's almost like you ignore it. Is that inhumane or some kind of thing? But because we hear so much bad information every day, y- your mind and body have to be able to really deflect it. But then are you inhuman? So that's something that I think about a lot. Like, Am I sensitive enough? Because of my survival mechanisms, I've become somewhat a little bit insensitive to, for survival because I can't handle all that bad stuff. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing to to think about. But I think you, I think you're you you everybody sort of understands their limits in a way. Like, man, if I think about this anymore, I'm gonna go crazy or you know. Well, and and what you said complements the the nature of your film even more is you know. This is what I love about the idea of improv. This is what I fell into it. It normalizes failure, right? There's this idea of um, improvisational methods can be used to create, yeah, like safe and productive environments, but mainly people need to know that there's not one answer. I think uh, when we started teaching these workshops, I wanted to go be a student again myself. And I know that, you know, you have an appreciation for range because I, I think if you did tennis and water skiing and some other sports, right? Before I go on. Every, every sport. Yeah. And I kept doing it. I mean, I even to this day, because I'm getting a little bit older, like if I don't work on my coordination, you know, I'm going to like be like an uncoordinated old man, you know? So what I do, I go out and, and I, you know, I run every other day or three times a week, but I, I, I run with a tennis ball and I like basically bounce the tennis ball while I'm running through my legs behind my back. Like, you know, I throw the ball over my head, catch it behind me because I'm trying to keep that, that peripheral vision, the coordination. And I'm not like, look, I hate going to the gym. I never go to the gym since I graduated college, but like I do little things, flexibility. Cause I know that as you get older, you know, if someone calls me up to play golf or, or whatever, tennis or bet, let's play basketball that I, I can still do that on a dime because I've been, you know, you know, doing some level coordinated things so anyways that that's sort of my yeah no that's what what, what you're talking about but like think about somebody uh, let's say your neighbor looked at that right and they might think the the lay person might be like well that's that's illogical what the hell is that person doing and and that's that's what i'm talking about with the improv and the creativeness that you're talking creativity is the non-logical or the adjacent possible is is where that stuff is found 
And, and I just think it's fascinating that, you know, you did such a great job getting that across with athletes. It, it's just so unique trying to get it across to coaches. I, I have to wonder this, and this is, this is another, uh, you know, potentially selfish question, but, you know, I always tell people in my field who, who feel like they're misrepresented, you know, not a lot of the world knows much about the performance industry as it really exists. We kind of stay behind the scenes. You interviewed a lot of folks. You had athletes, you had sport coaches, you had academics, you had another author, you had David Epstein in there. Um, what Did you ever consider kind of looking at somebody in the performance space? Did Does somebody in your position know that that people in strength and conditioning or what have you generally spend the most time around athletes as opposed to coaches? Or have you ever looked into that space? Well, I think that's interesting. I didn't really look at that. What, what I was really you know, trying to focus on because I knew no one's going to, who do people really want to listen to? Okay. Yeah. They that, that's the world's I, best athletes. Yeah. That, that's what they, they want to hear TV. the guys, the, the goats, right? They like, how did you, you, it's not Gabe Polsky or, or anybody else. Like let them say it. And if I could shape it a little bit, uh, the themes that I think, you know, r- really resonate and sort of different, then, then it's going to really resonate because you can't argue it. Listen, it, Brad, if, if, if you say something to someone as, as Brad, I mean, yet, you know, you're, you're an accomplished guy and so on but about like how it should be done or whatever. But if you say, look, Wayne Gretzky said this or, or Pele or Tom Brady, it's a lot more respect because they did it. So that was the main principle with this doc is to get it from their mouths and yeah. then and then kind of shape the discussion use the the commentators a little bit to shape the the story no you're, you're spot on we even did that as an experiment once we we took an iconic quote from from uh coach popovich and and we you know somebody was asking how he gets buy-in from athletes and and popovich is this you know like oh everybody wants to know what pop's doing and pop's doing and they see that he didn't get tactical. He just kind of said something similar to Red Arbach, right? Like you have to adjust your style. You have to let them know you care. You have to do this. You have to do that. Oh my God, people's minds were blown, whatever. And then we we took another quote from somebody that was a relatively unknown, but a lot more tactical, not esoteric, right? But a lot more tactical, gave them three ways you could break into, hey, this is somebody that's a little bit hard-nosed, what you can do. Somebody that's a little softer, this is what you can do, whatever. Well, who do you think people preferred? They preferred Popovich because even though it wasn't tactical, it, this came from this guy. So you're spot on. And, and that's that's another thing that makes me think about your craft, right? The film, how long was the film In Search of Greatness? How long was it? It generally? was like 90 minutes, 80 minutes. How much did you actually, how much footage did you actually have if you were to look at the totality before the cutting room floor? Yeah, so with the athletes, I got roughly an hour and a half with each of them, maybe a little less. Okay. And then, and then with, uh, with the cut-ins and all that, like before you edited it down, what was it generally? Well, that was a lot. That was a lot. That's hard to say because there's so much archival footage out there that we're dealing with. That's yeah. hard to say. Okay. My point here is this, a right? Lot. Let's say like, let's say, uh, like 10 times what I, what's in the film way more. Yeah. Even more beautiful. So we talk about film being one of the ultimate ways to get a message across, which you did wonderfully. Our job is, is so, fun, uh, so centered around communication. So to go from what you had to 80 minutes, there's all this message prioritization that has to take place. This is going to be very broad. So dude, take it wherever you want. How do you approach that? 
how do you approach the idea of, okay, what kind of, me- what, what are the core messages? Of course, there are things around creativity and problem solving or whatever, but these are, you have to kill your darlings. You know, you have to kill so much. Talk to me about just what that's like editing that down. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that, that, that was the, the, the core of what I was doing in this film. Obviously the, the topic of greatness is so big. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, I just kind of made a list and, you know, I don't have that in front of me right now, but you know, again, I'll name some of them. Okay. Importance of genetics, parenting, free you know, what was their youth like? How did they, you know, start uh, exploring their own greatness and building the tools to do that? And then, you know, what motivated them? Uh, you know, the the obsession. What, what, what? How deep was this obsession and what? how did it manifest? What did each of these guys do? For instance, Gretzky would watch literally every single game after he played of other teams at night. I mean, we're talking, I don't know, millions of games. He would just sit there and watch. Uh, Jerry Rice, you know, you know, re, you know, after a game, he'll go on, on, on the field again and start running routes. I mean, it's just, it reaches a level that is beyond something that I had comprehended before. And I felt myself like almost like, okay. I felt bad because I was like, you know, okay, this is way beyond what I could do. Like I wouldn't want to watch every game after I played. It's just too much. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I mean, they have this rage to master. That was the quote from the movie, right? They had a rage to master. Yeah, I know. But the level it's, you know, I, I thought I kind of knew, but when, you know, when I, when I listened to to that, it was pretty all encompassing, like you have no other life, you know, but they loved it. I guess that they, they, they just love that, that one thing. So, so that's how I kind of started narrowing down the, the movie. And then, and then, yeah, selective, I mean, it's just things that I, thought were just so important to drill down in people that I thought would like help people as much as possible with this film, you know, what I thought was most important. And, and obviously there's so much like parenting, for instance, well, we could talk about this for a month about parenting, but you select things to kind of build your message. And my, my message, let's say in parenting was just, you know, support your kid and give them kind of some opportunities to explore themselves and then let, leave them alone. But if they need a little bit of help, you know, and you could, you could, you know, and you're going to a game and you want to give them some advice, you know, that's fine too. But just, it's all about, it has to come from them, you know, and, and, and just leave them alone. Let them be free. Get, let them go out and play. Yeah. You, uh, when you talk about, you know, select, selecting things that will build that message, you know, in, in the training side, we often use sports science to try to select things and, and, and really pay attention to things that help us build their training. But one thing that I love that you mentioned is, uh, and it's not a direct quote, but but talking about how analytic, analytics are of very little help in spotting creative traits, right? Not everything, yeah. it, it really is true. Not everything can be measured. And, and you can't really use analytics to, <laughs> hey, we're going to be able to uh, 
parse out this individual's special genius for a game or a sport. And statistics so often fall into this trap of making something important just because we can measure it. Again, going back to where we fell into this early, like, well, I don't know about improv. And then they started seeing other people do it. Now we want to, uh, you know, where do you stand on that now? I mean, are your thoughts around that any different? Have they elaborated this idea that, yeah, like, sorry, you, you can't use analytics to be like, yep, that guy's got that creative, he, you know, like we can teach people to play defense. We can get people stronger. I can't teach a guy to create a tactic that helps him score 70 goals. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel that this, the same way. I think analytics have, since I was playing, have gotten a lot more intense and, and specific. And on a certain level, what I like about analytics is that if you're a player and, and you just, you know, in order to play, you know, you, you could say, Hey, look, no, look at my stats. Like, like uh, my goals per game or my plus minus or, you know, puck possession, you know, is much better than these guys, but they're, they're, they're playing and I'm not, well, what the hell's going on? You could at least point to something and say, okay, come on. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that with it's less subjective there, or you win more with this guy. Okay. Well, at least it's a statistic. Is that the important one? Then let's freaking win. Um, I like that, that idea. That's what I like because I, I, I was always in a situation you sort of had, you had to prove and like people who are unproductive were playing and they, and, and, and I didn't understand why they were unproductive. So, so at least it can prove productivity. That's important. However, the, you can't understand why somebody's productive. That that's the, because it's too much of a study. It's not worth the, the money, you know, somebody it's their, the way their brain works, they can find, they know where to be at the right time. They hold off. They know where to spend their energy and where not to spend their, they, 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 they can see where the puck the, or the ball is going and they have a better, you know, it's just, it's these things that you can't measure uh, why somebody's great because they understand it better. Yeah. Now people are using the term like IQ, whatever IQ. Okay, great. Yeah. That's a little bit like how you you can't rate that necessarily, but they are saying it at least now. So, but yeah. then, then, then saying, you know, you know, it depends what IQ, what for a de- defensive player, like, yeah, that guy's a great defensive mind. Okay. But he just like shuts people down. Is that that interesting to, to watch? Yeah. It, and, and I think too, like making sure sometimes you just don't get in their own way, you know, going back to Gretzky talking about one of his favorite coaches. Right. And I, I think the guy's name was um, Glenn Sather. Is that how yeah. you pronounce it? Yeah. And he's like, he didn't tamper with it. He didn't tamper with it. And that's, that's a tricky thing of what you're alluding to, right? Analytics can be great for many reasons, but sometimes they can make us see things that aren't there and you can kind of get this false positive and then you start going with something and, and, Go ahead. Gretzky, let's look at Gretzky for a second here. So he's, you, you watched him play and a lot of people may be younger or whatever, but you didn't know what the hell he was doing. Like he, he's standing in a different area than everybody else. He's, it looks like he's not trying. And then, you know, all of a sudden you'll show up, boom, goal, boom, goal, like just perfect timing. Always like he knew where to be, but the average player, that's not how people played. No. So you think this guy, what, what the hell is he doing with another coach? They might say this guy, He's not back checking. What's the wrong with him? He's not doing this. He's not in the right place with defense. Like that's what coaches, most coaches would do. 
you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's that's the, the bottom line. So great players, some great players, like, they're way beyond their coaches because they're, you know, the, their coaches, that's why they're coaches a lot of times, too. It's because they couldn't do that. So they have to recognize this guy, wow, this guy, he's doing something totally different. But he look at how productive he is. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's see. Okay, maybe he's onto something. He's figured it out because he's gotten to this level, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And and like we said, we're only going to go into more chaotic and, and complex times. You know, if I, if I'm correct, and and you've only you mainly do documentaries, correct? Um. Well, I mean, that's what I'm known for mainly recently uh, I've done other non doc related things and I'm going to do more non doc things in the near future. Okay, great. Where I was going with that is you obviously have this insatiable curiosity for not only creativity, greatness, just the nuances of what makes people unique and, and not to, not to shift gears too much, but it's just a fascination of when we look at Gretzky and, and rice and Pele and all this, you know, I'd love to kind of get a little bit more insight as to what made you want to do, uh, take a deeper look at Einstein, you know, like uh, select, selecting that. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very similar idea here where when I started looking to Einstein, first of all, why had no one had done anything on Einstein really, uh, when when we, my brother and I started looking into the rights and so on. And, and I, I was pretty amazed why the hell, I mean, this is the greatest guy, like, of, of the 20th century and brightest mind ever. And I didn't understand it. Anyways, I started looking into his story and realized that this guy, again, was nobody expected Einstein to succeed his, the science community. Yeah. I was a, he was a bright guy, but they didn't understand him. He, he, they didn't give him jobs. And they, they, he, he, he didn't get any job as a, as a scientist or, or a teacher. Um, where his his colleagues were all getting jobs, and so he had to work at a patent office because he couldn't get a job. They didn't like him, and they didn't like think he was that particularly that bright. So, because he worked at this patent office, he he was seeing all these uh, you know patents on light and time, a lot of watches, and he started like I don't know something clicked in his brain. And he started developing different theories. He had the time to develop these theories where these other guys were like teaching class and like didn't have any time. So that that bad thing allowed him to come up with these greatest, you know, uh, thoughts. And he was a much different thinker than than all these guys. He was much more visual. He, he, he would sort of think outside of the box. He would always have thought experiments, you know. And so that difference allowed him to 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 make these scientific theories and inventions and 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 he was even when he did that they didn't want to believe him they didn't trust him and you know so he was he was an outsider and i thought that that was kind of a fascinating story as you know and then his personal life with his wife and so on and his kids you know made for even more drama but yeah i mean there's there's a lot of very similar principles with him and like Gretzky, all these guys. You know, the people that are outside of the norm, you know, they they encounter tremendous resistance, you know, because nobody wants a they don't like the outsiders coming in because it, it it threatens the status quo. Yeah. And nobody understands them because 
they're doing something different yeah. and they don't want to do something different. They want to do how it's doing. Let, let's keep the power status the way it is. And, yeah. and it takes a lot of uh, resilience to get through that or one a hell of an invention like the Gretzky's. A lot of these guys just barely squeak through. So there's many like guys like Gretzky or Einstein that, that kind of have brilliance, but they just can't make it through. They don't have that resilience uh, to get through the, you know, the, 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 the resistance. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you use a term there when mentioning that. And thank you for not being, uh, uh, thank you for going there. Cause I, you know, I was fascinated by that part of your work as well, but you use this term outsider, you know, and, and I think that that's a critical thing of, uh, what, what tends to be this creative approach, this, this willingness to do something, right. That old quote of, uh, sometimes it's the, the people nobody can imagine anything of that do the things that, that nobody else imagines. And, and you kind of have to be okay, not being an inside, uh, uh, like you have to be yeah. okay being an outsider. I think that there's this loneliness that can come with that. Right. Um, I know it's something that, that we've talked about a, a lot at art of coaching is, you know, what do you do when you go to that quote of, yeah, first they laugh at you, then they fight you, then they join you. You know, as you've done this, because I think you were one of the first that really took this, uh, not a swing, not like you were taking a pot shot or that was your intent, but, you know, for a long time, this Moneyball idea took a lot of, uh, was very fashionable. And me and some friends would talk and we'd be like, you know, again, data's important. We have scientific backgrounds, we value it. But I don't believe I know a sports dynasty that, is, that has happened because of data. I don't think that we've yet seen anybody that can say, oh yeah, because of their sports science wholeheartedly, that's what did it. But we've seen, you know, when the Cubs won their World Series, they talk about how they looked at soft skills and what they could do organizationally. When we do invest in people and sometimes the outsiders and we take a swing at the unconventional, that's the breakthroughs. What do you think it will take for society to quit looking at those people as outsiders or, or uh, you know, this kind of just different kind of cast of human that we have to shut out. What, what's it going to take for people to realize this lesson and not constantly have to go back and, and be talked into it again and again and again? I think we're, we're getting, it seems like I, I actually right now is a, is a really odd time. And people, maybe it's because we're hearing a lot more of these stories over and over and people are just like, okay, I think I get it now. And you know, that, that kind of thing. And there are a lot of, as you see, like this whole, like, you know, all the movements happening right now, like for alternative ways of thinking. And I know that they did this in the sixties and whatever, probably throughout history. So I think we're becoming more open to kind of oddness. Maybe it's take going to the pendulum, maybe too far there. I don't know, but you know, there is a pendulum all the time, you know, where things get a little too chaotic or like, you know, cause then when everyone's just thinking about themselves and being different, then there's a lack of order and discipline. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just spitting out ideas here, but so <clears throat> I think we're, we're, we're a little bit more open to it and less, less there's, you know, this whole Vince Lombardi thing, you gotta, you know, it's all about grit and working hard and, and, and literally just drive pile driving through people and dominating that that's sort of an old, you know, assembly line approach too. Yeah. You got to have a more holistic. Yeah. And, and the more you see the successes of like Bill Walsh's and people like that, who are like the opposite of of Lombardi in certain ways, they're a little more creative and kind of 
you know, Walsh was sort of a, not an imposing guy, you know? And I think most of the successful coaches, really successful, you know, are, are more artists and open-minded guys. Uh, you, you have to be in order to kind of keep shifting as time is changing, you know? And uh, I think, I think athletes really appreciate those kind of guys. You know, what's interesting is that when you reach the highest levels of sport or anything else, let's say you're an athlete, the less development there is. These coaches, they're not developing athletes anymore. It has nothing to do with development. There's nothing, even in college. It's like, it's, it's all about kind of harnessing the talent and letting it go and sort of shape, you know, like just figuring out how, how it can kind of flourish together. You know, that's all that that is. These guys, they're not like, they don't have to be understanding of how to develop. They just have to be good psychologists and maybe tacticians a little bit, you know? Yeah. One of the things at that point that we do an improv activity that we put coaches in, and I say coaches, we really, our workshops are open to everybody, but let's say it's a coach example. I'll have somebody come up, let's say there's five or six other people and I'll give them kind of personality quirks. I'll say, all right, this person is really skeptical, uh, hard-headed, uh, this person is almost kind of this novice, you know, they're, they're very enthusiastic. They want to do everything. Uh, this person is kind of this overworker, this head down. They're going to continue to move forward. And this person's an overthinker. They're kind of a hypochondriac. I go, now I need you to explain one thing. And we'll ask the audience. I'm like, what is he explaining? And whether it's a squat or a sprint or how to jump or whatever, I need you to explain that in five different ways in this amount of time. And by the way, they're going to push back on you because that's, that's what happens all the time. I mean, right? Like we have to tell athletes, I have to tell guys, hey, we're, you're going to put 400 pounds on your back. Why? Well, the short answer is it can make you more resistant to injury if you do it correctly. And this, think about how crazy that sounds to the average person, you know? And of course they work up to that, what have you. But I remember the first time a coach came up there and they were pushing back, right? Because it's improv, it's elevated reality. And this coach got really frustrated and they go, well, this would never happen. I go, you sure about that? How long you been coaching? You know, because if you don't think people are going to push back at you and you're not going to have to manage egos and personalities and, and that's just not real. Well, what you know, doesn't matter at, at certain levels. It's how you can kind of get in between those gaps there. I mean, would you agree? Am I hearing what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. It's, it's that, that's a tough, I was just thinking about that exercise. I mean, how tough that would be to, to do, but I think a lot of things with coaching and just interacting with people, it's really hard. Like I I'm thinking about what you were saying, you know, what do you say to this guy, to this guy? I don't know what the hell I'm not my, the way my mind works. I I don't, everything's sort of been more intuitive. So I just say, okay, you you know, you just, you're, you're seeing their face, how their, their posture, the whole thing. And you're kind of just like going with it. You know what I'm saying? And like, I, I can't describe the more, and, and then, but I think that the more you think about, okay, this is the kind of guy that does this, he does that, this, that I, I would just be totally lost, you know? Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is what you generally find with, with people that are highly skeptical and what have you is you, you've got to ask them a question and get something they relate to in their perspective first. Cause a lot of times they want to be in charge, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's yeah, this, right. this giving and taking of power. It's what I love about these conversations, yeah. right? Like you and me right now, we have no idea what the other is going to say. There's this fluid power dynamic. I want to honor your craft. You want to honor mine. We're having this conversation. But that's the beauty of improv, man. And that's why I find your work so impactful 
just in terms of the openness, the creativity, the non-rigidity. Uh, there, there's people that you can kind of be nice to and say, hey, uh, I appreciate your work or what have you. Then there's people like you I can look at and say, your work has made a genuine difference in my life at a time where I perhaps needed it most based on something work created. And I can't thank you enough for that. Well, that, I appreciate that. But yeah, you know, it's interesting, Brett, like, I'm just thinking about, yeah, the power dynamics, how important, you, you know, you're absolutely right. A lot of people, so some people, they, they have to be told what to do and they're great. And they're, and they're the coach's favorite guy because they do exactly what they say and blah, blah, blah. And then some guys, they just can't do anything there. To, they, 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 they cannot stand being told what to do. Right. And it's that. It's that power that, or they have to just really understand it. Like David Epstein was saying in the film, like, like great athletes, a lot of them, they just, they just need to understand why they're doing something, you yeah. know, why, what, what is it doing? What, what, you know, they're curious. They want to, you know, yeah. and so they, it looks like they're challenging them, but they just don't, they don't even, uh, they think it could be actually detrimental or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think another thing, and we could go down a whole rabbit hole with this, but I want to honor your time is. What one thing that we we kind of dive into that you might find fascinating is there are some athletes to your point that there's different kinds of power, right? There's what's called legitimate power, where you're you're the director, or you're the head coach, you have this title. That's what legitimate power is. And then there's informational power. So you know, back during the Enlightenment, right? We had people that had this information, or before the internet, you know, like these sages, kind of people that had insider information. And then there's what's called referent power. And that's just like, hey, I like you and I don't want to let you down and you're a mentor. And that's that balance of competence and warmth, right? What we find is that people have to respond to this competence and warmth and it's like dials on a, on a, on a DJ board. Sometimes you got to dial up one trait. Sometimes it's the next, sometimes that. And, and it's fascinating. I mean, man, you could do a whole film on power dynamics and this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think it'd be brilliant. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that's an important theme. So listen, I've, I've taken a lot of your time. I, I selfishly want you, I want this to continue. So don't think that this is done between you and me. You need to get you, come. I, I'd love to host you at one of our workshops. I think you'd like it, especially the improv creativity side of it. I can't wait to follow more of what you do. Uh, everybody can watch your film In Search of Greatness on Prime Video and Amazon. Where else? Can they download it right now? Get it right now? How else can they support your work and and watch all your stuff? Uh, well, they can Google me, but th that also like it's on Hulu. In Search of Greatness is on Hulu, and then you know for rental and sale on on all the platforms. So yeah, check. Uh, I think it's also on Epics too. In Search of Greatness, we're gonna put all the links in the show notes. We're gonna make sure that people can get it wherever and however. So we'll make sure people support you. And I want to give you the last word. Anything we didn't touch on that that you want to kind of uh, finish off with? Well, I mean, I just love. Honestly, this isn't just, but I, I do love to hear how every different person kind of interacts with the film, and it was just great to, you know, you 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 really, I really after this conversation understand deeply how you think and kind of a lot about you just based on our conversation and i think how everybody reacts to this film it's incredibly telling of their psychology it's really it's just really interesting you know oh well i need you to unpack that now because you know there's there's a time where i used to be pretty rigid with this and that and then you just 
you get into enough dynamic situations, coaching internationally, coaching different athletes, having to switch from military to youth to pro athletes to, to a, a, a guy at Google and what all the time, it's that fluidity. So what, what can you tell from my personality? Well, I think you're, you're, you've got a lot of, first of all, f- physical force from your, your, well, for your strong guy, but your voice is strong. You, you kind of have like this military style of talking that, that is a little bit deceiving because I do believe that you're, you know, based on every, what I've seen, you know, you're, you're very open-minded to new ideas and, and, and different ways of thinking and, and, and creativity. So you have this, you know, you've got an interesting combination of, of, uh, traits you know that i think can, is very effective i appreciate yeah. that and likewise it's yeah. nice it's nice and, and people like it you know because you do have that open-mindedness and that sort of you know that warmth that i think you know either clients or, or uh, you know athletes sort of they need you know yeah it's, it's this balance and, and likewise man i mean this has been a, a great conversation i appreciate you and we'll be supporting your work for a long time and you know it's true because I use clips from your 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 film in our slides at our workshop to reinforce some of the things we're talking about so people all over the world are continuing to see it. Guys, until next time, this is Brett Bartholomew, Gabe Polsky, the Art of Coaching Podcast. Thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah.